Good morning, Calvary Chapel, Okinawa. I'm Alex, and I am the pastor of a church in Kadena Town, as Josh just said, uh, called Kadena Fellowship Church, aka Kadena FC, or for short, KFC. But we don't have any fried chicken. The Lord led myself and my family to plant the church back in September 2021. And yeah, God has been so faithful. To bless the ministry in Kadena and sustain us for almost two years. But like Josh said, before I planted the church, before you planted the church, I served here at CCO for, for six years. And so I have many, many fond memories of being here. I love this church. I really do. And I'm thankful and honored with this opportunity to share the word with you today. You know, next week, or yeah, this coming week, Pastor Rick will be back. I believe Pastor Kevin will be teaching next week, but Pastor Rick will be back soon. I know you've had some great preachers and teachers of the Word share with you over the last couple months, but I'm sure you're excited to have your pastor back. Speaking of pastors, today we are in 1 Peter 5. We will look at verses 1 through 7. And I simply entitled the message, Everybody Be Humble. Throughout this letter, Peter instructs how we as Christians should treat various relationships that we have in our lives. Our relationship to our government as citizens. The relationship between servants and masters. The relationship between husbands and wives. You can go back and listen to the podcast or, or search the live stream uh, library if you miss those Sundays. Now, in today's portion of Scripture, Peter shares how we ought to treat each other in a church context. The relationship between church leaders and, and the church body. And the theme really is humility, which I think is appropriate for us today given that the world celebrates the opposite of humility, especially in the month of June, right, where the world celebrates the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life this month. May we be countercultural by clothing ourselves in humility. Let's get into the word. If you don't have a Bible, you can just raise your hand. I know Micaiah just came by, but are we good? All right. Uh, if we please stand with me in honor of God's word. Let's read the first four verses of 1 Peter 5 to get us started. First Peter 5. Peter writes, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory 
that does not fade away. Let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding, pray that you would speak to us today. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please uh, greet your neighbors as you take a seat. So here in verse 1, Peter directs his, his focus to elders. The word for elders in the original Greek is presbyteros, and it could mean elder in age, like someone who is literally older, more senior, or it can also refer to rank or an office that someone holds. In the Gospels, you see the elders of the Jews standing side by side with the priests and the scribes to plot against Jesus to put him to death. Right? The idea of elders goes, goes back to the Old Testament, and it referred to leaders of communities. He compares them to shepherds who feed and take care of the flock. Someone, someone like a pastor. He calls them overseers, episcopal which is where the word bishop comes from. So just in these couple of verses, Peter describes the church leaders in three ways. They're elders, leaders who are more senior, more mature in the faith. They take care of God's people as a shepherd does the flock. And they oversee the church body and the church functions of it. So verses 1 through 4 are directed toward the church leaders. But I think we should all pay attention to what Peter says. It's good, good for those of us who have been called to a leadership role, to be a leader in a church, to know what is expected of us. It gives us direction. Right? It helps us know how God would want us to lead and serve the church. To look at the example that Jesus set as the good shepherd, as our chief shepherd, and aligning his examples with what Peter lays out here in 1 Peter 5. And I think it's also good for those of us who are a part of the flock to know what is expected of the leaders. It helps keep the leaders accountable to the standard that Peter set here. So Peter says, the elders who are among you. It was understood that the elders were among the people. Just like a shepherd is among the sheep. Like when, you, when you imagine a shepherd in your mind, well, what do you see? You don't see a shepherd off in some palace, right, lounging, eating grapes and olives. Right? No, you see someone with... With some dirt on there. Ooh, I just touched the mic. My bad, Keegan. 
I'll use this hand. You see uh, someone with dirt on his face, holding a staff, right? Standing with sheep all around him. You can't shepherd a flock without being amongst the flock. There's just no way. The sheep needs the shepherd to be among them, to lead them. In the same way, pastors and church leaders should be among the people to walk with them, eat and fellowship with, the, with them, to do, to do life together. Not away in some metaphorical ivory tower, right, separated, secluded from the rest of the body of Christ. Now that's not to say that the pastors can't have different types of relationships. Right, Jesus set the example. He walked amongst the multitude and he ministered to them. But he also selected 12 guys to disciple as future leaders of the church. And even from within the 12, he chose three as part of his inner circle. Nevertheless, Jesus still walked among the people. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Church leaders and pastors are called to be among the flock. And I am confident that you, Calvary Chapel, Okinawa, have a pastor in Pastor Rick and in the other church leaders who are here who are amongst the flock. I'll just tell you on the front end of this message. I think, I think Pastor Rick checks all the boxes that, that Peter draws for us here in these verses. So if you don't know Pastor Rick yet, stick around. He'll be back this week. And I can say this because he's not here so he doesn't get embarrassed. I know he would. Sorry, Pastor Rick. But I think you're awesome. I'm like a Pastor Rick fanboy. Is that funny? Is that weird? <laughs> He's my hero. He really is. He, he is my pastor. And when I grow up, I want to be a pastor just like him. You know, shave my head, grow out that beard. I have a long way to go. I'm the, I'm the growing out my beard part. Not this. Anyway. <laughs> I, I appreciate how humbly Peter approaches the elders uh, in his exhortation of them. He says, I am a fellow elder. Right? He makes himself equal to the other elders. He identifies with them. He, he relates to them. I feel like he could have played the apostle card, right? Do you know who I am? Do you know what Jesus said about me? He said, on this rock, I will build my church. So you better listen to what I say. He could have played that, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He doesn't approach them condescendingly. He doesn't approach them like, like a big brother bullying his younger sibling. He approaches the other elders with humility. However, he still shares with them his credentials. He's not a nobody. But he mentions how he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. 
that set him apart. And how he's a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter, more than others, got to see Jesus in his glory when he was transfigured on that mountain. But he knew that there was more glory to come. He knew that what he saw wasn't the fullness of Christ's glory revealed. Which leaves us with a a wonder and a hope for that glory that is to come. Let's read that first part of verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. So again, Peter brings up this image of a shepherd and his sheep. The word translated as shepherd here literally means to to tend as a shepherd, to, to feed cattle. It's the same word that Jesus used when he restored Peter in John 21, 16. When Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. After Peter affirmed his love for Jesus, Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Right? Shepherd my sheep. So what Peter received from the Lord, he's passing on to the leaders of the church. The Apostle Paul exhorted the elders of Ephesus in a similar way in Acts 20 verse 28. He said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Both Peter and Paul recognized the church as not their own, but God's. Right? Peter said, shepherd the flock of God. Paul said, shepherd the church of God. The church is not any pastor's church. The flock of Calvary Chapel, Okinawa, is not Pastor Rick's flock. This church is God's church. And as Pastor Rick says, Jesus is the real senior pastor of this church. So Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock and serve as overseers. And tells them how by giving them three contrasting ideas. He tells them what not to do, immediately followed by what to do. This is, a, this is actually a really good teaching method. Right? You kind of see it all over the place. Maybe on a fitness Instagram account, you might see something like, don't bend your back when you lift, but straighten it to avoid injury. Right? Or on health blogs, you might, you might see something like, don't eat nachos, but do eat natto. Any natto lovers out there? Or don't eat fats, do eat carbs. Or actually do eat fats, don't eat carbs. I don't know which is true. I feel like the experts change their minds on these things every five years. I guess the, the science is still out. The good news is the word is the truth. And the truth is never changing. So what Peter wrote 2,000 years ago is still true today, so we don't have to wonder if it's applicable to us. It is. 
The first exhortation that Peter gives the elders is to shepherd the flock, not by compulsion, but willingly. Right? Pastors shouldn't serve the church out of obligation. Pastors shouldn't oversee the ministry under them because they have to, because they're forced to. First of all, that's not the example that Jesus left. On John, in John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Right? Jesus willingly gave his life up for us. In his loving obedience and in submission to the Father, Jesus willingly gave himself up for us. God didn't make him. Right? In John 10, 12, Jesus said, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep, scatters them. I think that a pastor that ministers out of compulsion because, because he has to, because he has no choice, is like a hireling. It's, no, it's not so much a calling to them, but just a job. Right? They're working for that paycheck. That is a sad place to be for a pastor. You know, I, I love being a pastor. And I love Sundays. It's such a blessing to get to teach the word and preach the word. And it's so fun to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a great privilege. It's, a, it's an honor of mine. And I, I really I just love it. And I pray that I, I never get to that place in my ministry where I lead Sunday worship services because I have to. Right? Because it's how I support my family. Because I'm the pastor. It reminds me of my, my youngest son when I tell him to clean up the mess that he made. He's only three. But I guarantee he has never willingly cleaned up after himself yet. Every time he does, it's out of compulsion. Because we force him. And uh, you can see it in his face. He, he furrows his brows, you know, and he puckers his lips in anger. And he does this thing with his arms where he punches the air with both his arms. <laughs> okay, I'll clean. Imagine a pastor doing that as he steps up to the pulpit on Sundays, right? Okay, God, I'll teach. Can't pastor with that kind of attitude. How can a pastor effectively oversee a healthy church body if he doesn't even want to be there? Peter says, not like that. Don't serve out of compulsion. Don't serve because you have to. Don't counsel others begrudgingly. Do it willingly. Be happy to serve the body of Christ. Find joy in tending the flock of God. The second exhortation that Peter gives the elders is to shepherd the flock, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, 
if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know of pastors and celebrity pastors who are solely motivated by greed. Right? Their ministry is all about making money or gaining popularity. The focus is on themselves and not on Christ, not on the body of Christ. Other translations call it shameful gain or, or pursuing dishonest gain. In the qualification of uh, overseers in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says that a bishop or, or an overseer should not be greedy for money. Paul tells Titus likewise in Titus 1.7. And in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But greed, greed is dangerous to a Christian's faith. It's actually a result of, of a lack of faith. Because think about it. Greed, greed is just wanting more than what God has provided. Right? It's discontentment in God's provision. Proverbs 28.25 says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Right? The greedy man is contrasted with someone who trusts in the Lord. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Jesus, we have all that we need and so much more. We are enriched when we trust in him. And the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us is the greatest single source of wealth that we can have. And a pastor, a church, church leader, should know this better than anyone else. You see, Peter brings this up because it was common practice for religious leaders back in those days to leverage their position of leadership to make shameful gains. Jesus called some of them out in Matthew 23, 25. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. So Peter exhorts the elders to not shepherd the flock for dishonest gain, but to shepherd eagerly with a willing heart. He's telling them to not be motivated by earthly things, material things that fade away. You know, this is a hard check for, for church leaders to think, what are we motivated by? And ask yourself, why am I in the ministry? What is my attitude toward the ministry? Do I serve out of an eagerness in your heart, in my heart? To bless the body of Christ? I think it's good to consider these things, to take an inventory of your heart from time to time. 
the third and final exhortation that Peter gives the elders is found in verse 3. Peter said, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I think this is a great temptation for many pastors. Anyone who's in a position of authority has this temptation. It's the temptation to be prideful, controlling, domineering of the congregation. There are prideful pastors who mistakenly think that, that the success of their ministry is solely due to their talents. And so he thinks he's better than everyone else and treats everyone else as servants. He knows what's best. So everyone needs to listen to him and do exactly as he says. Maybe there's work that the pastor thinks is below him. That he shouldn't have to do this or that. That's just not the example that Jesus left. A pastor is not called to be a dictator. A pastor is not a slave master. Church leaders are called to be servants. In Matthew 20, the mother of James and John asked Jesus if those two can be elevated above the rest, seated next to Jesus in his coming kingdom. And honestly, that's a good mom, right? She's looking out for her boys. She's proud of them. She wants what's best for them. But she didn't understand what she was asking for. She didn't understand how radically different Christ's kingdom would be compared to the earthly kingdoms. And so Jesus responded, Matthew 20, 25 through 28. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. And as Jesus set the example for these leaders, so church leaders are to set the example for the flock. Church leaders should be humble. They shouldn't shy away from picking up a broom. A great example we have is in Jesus who knelt down and washed those stinky, dirty feet of the disciples. Back then, they didn't have paved roads. They walked on dirt roads. In their sandals. I just imagine Jesus using some of that divine elbow grease and just really washing those feet, really cleaning away the dirt and everything that's on the feet. And Jesus told them after he was done washing their feet, he said, If I, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, then you ought to wash each other's feet too. He said, I gave you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 
So Peter echoes Jesus. And he raises the standard for the elders of the church. Be examples to the flock. Don't treat them like they're beneath you. Serve them. And as he does throughout this letter, Peter gives the audience something to look forward to as they heed his words. In verse 4, Peter said, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Again, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. Right? Pastor Rick is the under-shepherd to Jesus. Kalena Fellowship Church is not my church. It's his. Right? I just have the honor and responsibility to shepherd his flock as the under-shepherd. And so Peter reminds them that Jesus is coming back, and when he does, they will receive the crown of glory. The crown mentioned here is the crown that they would give out to victors of athletic contests. They were garlands woven by leaves and vines. Right? Like, an, like an olive wreath that you might have seen that a winner of an uh, ancient Olympic games might receive. You know what the thing is about those crowns? Those crowns faded away. The leaves would die and dry out. They would become brittle to the touch. The crowns we find here on earth all fade away. But Peter here promises a crown of glory that does not fade away. Which should make you think of what Peter said in the beginning of the letter. When Peter talked about the inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Pastors and church leaders can look forward to receiving this crown as they serve the body of Christ. Because, you know, being, being a pastor isn't easy. There are days when seems like you're taking punches from all sides. It takes thick skin to be a pastor. It takes endurance, steadfastness, it takes humility. And honestly, it might not be so glorious on this side of eternity, but there is a glorious reward that awaits. So a pastor is to shepherd the flock of God, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And not as being lords over God's flock, but being good examples. And when Jesus comes, they will receive a crown of glory that never fades. And so that's how the elders are to treat the flock entrusted to them. And we'll see how those who are younger should treat the elders. Let's read verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The exhortation to the younger people is pretty straightforward. Younger people, 
Submit yourselves to the elders. Depending on the kind of cultural context you come from, you might have different, differing ideas about how to treat your elders. Right? The way that, Japanese, that the Japanese treat elders and how the Americans treat elders can look very different. So regardless of how your culture treats the elders, in the church context, we are called to submit to our elders. And the neat thing is that even in submitting, we follow Christ's example. Right? So whether you're a pastor or an elder or a member of the church, everyone follows Christ's example. Right? The pastor follows the example that Jesus set as a servant leader. And the church body follows the example that Jesus set as he submitted to the Father's will. You know, submission is a mark of humility. It's being able to put aside your own desires, put aside your own opinions, and receive the desires and opinions of the elder. Now, obviously, if a pastor tells you to do something that is sin, you submit to the chief shepherd. You do what is right. But outside of that, the younger people are called to submit to their elders. That takes humility. There might be times when the younger person knows better in certain situations. Maybe it's a technology issue or whatever it might be. I think the younger person should voice his or her opinion. Right? We're not called to be pushovers. Like Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So you make your best case, but you do it with grace and humility. And then submit to the decision that the church leadership makes. Don't get all bent out of shape if the decision doesn't go your way. The Lord knows. And if the decision by the church leadership was wrong, it'll play out. That's not your concern. Be concerned about being above reproach, humble, and blameless before God. And if it's not, sorry, it's not always easy to submit which is why we need to look to Jesus. Jesus submitted to the soldiers who took him away from the Garden of Gethsemane. He submitted to the unjust verdict that was handed down to him. Jesus submitted to the point of death, the death on the cross. And so when you find it difficult to submit to an elder, I want to encourage you to pray And ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. To help you be clothed with humility. I think humility is like fertilizers to relationships. There's nothing quite like humility that helps relationships flourish. What is humility? It's doing nothing from selfishness, but esteeming others as better than yourselves. Philippians 2.3 It's keeping yourself from thinking so highly of yourself to not being wise in your own opinion. Romans 12, 16. It's basically the opposite of pride, right? 
There's nothing quite like pride that destroys relationships. It was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It was pride that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It was pride that got Saul kicked out of his kingship over Israel. In each of those scenarios, pride got in the way of their relationship with God. Prideful people have a hard time sustaining healthy relationships. Because prideful people can be toxic. In their pride, they think they're wiser than others. In their arrogance, they struggle to submit. Why would I submit to them when I know so much better than they do? Prideful people are selfish. They seek to elevate themselves at the expense of others. And prideful people can be stubborn because they don't want to give an ear to other people's thoughts and opinions. And the Bible is clear. God hates pride. Because at the core of pride is a desire to dethrone God and become our own gods. And there are so many verses in Proverbs that speak to the dangers of pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. That's why Peter, after encouraging the younger people to be submissive, he encourages all to be submissive to one another and to be clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's grace is reserved for those who humbly walk with God. And so Paul, Peter, sorry, Peter encourages everyone in verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, in due time. The reward for humility might not be immediate. In fact, in many situations, in the immediate, you might feel ashamed. You might feel mocked or disrespected for being humble. You might have to do the dirty work, the lowly task, the mundane. But you can rest under the mighty hand of God. The Lord has got you. You're under the great care of His mighty hand. You can rest knowing that God will exalt you. You see, pride goes hand in hand with the praises of men. Right? Prideful people love to be praised and exalted by men. But the praises of men are, are fleeting. It fades away. The praises of men are like, like bubbles. Right? They're pretty. And they're colorful. But it's empty. There's no value to them. They pop and disappear at the slightest wind. 
right? It fades away. The substance is, is worthless. When I was a kid, they, they came out with this bubble that you can eat. Does anyone even remember that? No one? First service, there were a couple. Uh, Keegan, no? Man, it's probably good. So my cousin blew a bubble toward me, and I ate one. And sure enough, it tasted like a strawberry. It's like, that is awesome. So my cousin blew out some more bubbles, and I ate another one and another one. And since the bubble was yummy, right, I figured that the bubble mix must be yummy too. So, so I took the, the bottle of the bubble mix, and I took a swig, and I took a moment, and then I spit it all out. It was disgusting. It was uh, literally just soap <laughs> with some artificial flavoring to it. <laughs> but at least it made my teeth white. Just kidding. Now that's the kind, it's kind of how it is with the praises of men. Right? It sounds nice, it's flattering, but the substance of it is worthless. Especially compared to being exalted by God. And so I want to ask you to consider, you know, what do you clothe yourself with today? Are you clothed with humility? pride and be honest with yourself and consider are you able to be submissive to others when others think of you which word comes to mind humble or prideful humility or arrogance and I want to encourage all of us as Peter did to pursue humility everybody be humble be clothed with humility. And as you seek to follow Christ's example of humility, whether you're in a leadership position or a member of this church, I believe that the relationships will flourish. Lay down your rights. Lay down your lives for one another. And like I said, it might be difficult to humble yourself from time to time. But Peter has an encouraging word for us in verse 7. He said, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, I, I love this verse. Because it tells us that our faith is not a religion, but a relationship. God cares for you. God created you. He knows you better than anyone else in the whole world. He knows your thoughts. He knows the number of hairs there are in your nose. <laughs> he cares for you. And the great thing is his care for you is not conditional. He doesn't care for you because, because you're following the rules. He doesn't care for you because you're here at church on Sunday, which is a good thing. But it's, his care for you is unconditional. He doesn't care for you because you read your Bible in the mornings. He cares for you simply because he loves you. 
cares for you because that's the kind of God, the kind of good and gracious God he is. So cast all your care upon him. There's not a care that God can't handle. And the idea of casting is active. It's like casting a fishing line, right? It's like stuffing all of your cares in a duffel bag and just throwing it at him. Peter's not telling us to sit around and wait for God to take, take away our cares. No, we're called to get up, right? Take a few steps and cast it. And the Lord will catch it. He will catch it all with his mighty hand. Because he cares for you. Maybe you're here today and you barely made it out of the house. You barely made it to church. Maybe you feel like you're at the end of your ropes. You're tired. You don't know how to keep getting up and moving forward. Things that stress, things at work are stressful. You don't see the end in sight. Or maybe there are family issues that you're working through and you don't know how it's going to pan out. Maybe the thought of your future brings you anxiety. I don't know. I don't know what you're going through today. But I want to encourage you. The Lord does. The Lord sees you. He knows what you're going through. And He cares for you. You don't have to carry all your burdens all on your own. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Do you believe that? Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is our chief shepherd. So I want to encourage all of us to cast all of our care upon him for he cares for you. I'm going to pray and then we'll close it out with a the worship team. Let's pray. Lord, you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You make us to lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. You lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Though we walk 
Through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.